c'est si bon. Welcome to Paris Good Food and Wine. I'm your host, Paige Donner. For the next half hour, I'll be presenting to you news, happenings, and personalities from Paris's extraordinary culinary world. So sit back and get ready to enjoy a full half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine. Like those French people do Because it's all so good In this episode of Paris Good Food and Wine for November 2015, we'll be hearing all about ways in which the centuries-strong Franco-American relations are deepening. The golden nugget of this episode is an interview with members of the 1855 Bordeaux Grand Cru Classé organization, telling us about their participation in supporting the reconstructed replica of the frigate called L'Hermione that the Marquis de Lafayette, who we Americans call our French founding father, sailed to the United States on in 1780. L'Hermione is the three-masted 32-gun frigate that carried Lafayette to New York's harbor in 1780 when he was bringing good news to the American independence fighters. His king and the sovereign nation of France would support us militarily. Just this last summer, July 1, 2015, a replica of the frigate arrived in New York's harbor with much fanfare and also with the support of the Castine Historical Society the nonprofit dedicated to keeping this history alive in our memories today. The New York Times documented the frigate's arrival last summer by noting in their July 1st edition, quote, The last time a boat sailed into New York Harbor bearing the Marquis de Lafayette, the year was 1824, and some 50,000 people, roughly a third of New York's population, lined the streets for a glimpse of Lafayette, the French founding father, who was visiting the United States as part of a 13-month triumphal tour of the nation he had helped liberate nearly a half-century earlier. In this episode 11 in our season 2 of Paris Good Food and Wine, we'll also be hearing from a young author, mother, and Parisienne, Clotilde de Soulier who takes us through some of the colorful, idiomatic French expressions that she documented in her newest book, Edible French. Clotilde is the founder of the popular culinary blog Chocolate and Zucchini, which she writes in both English and French. To round off this segment, I'll be introducing you, formally this time, to our featured restaurant reviewer from episode 10, namely Gilles Pudlowski. Pudlow, as he refers to himself, has a 25-year history as a culinary journalist and a restaurant critic here in France. He'll also be telling us about his content-rich blog he launched five years ago now. So sit back and enjoy another half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine with me, your host and producer, Paige Donner. (laughs) But you know, this old world still has got problems. And sometimes I think that you can solve so many problems yourself, but other problems takes the whole doggone world. (laughs) No matter how much money you got, Those bombs can still fall down in your head. That's right. 
I'm gonna lay down my sword and shield Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Down by the riverside Lay down my sword and shield Down by the riverside Study Here at the Paris Etoile, at, uh, in fact, at L'Etoile sur Mer, which is the former uh, Guy Sav Savoie, Chef Guy Savoie, Trois Etoiles kitchens, and now it's run by his uh, commander-in-chief, uh, Chef Clément Leroy. But I'm here in the company and at the invitation of the president of the, uh, what's called the Association 1855, so eight, the 1855. And that means everything in the world of wine. But rather than me try to explain it, I'm going to ask Mr. Philippe Castasia, the president of that prestigious Bordeaux Association, to um, explain to us what, what it is. Well, thank you very much for coming. The uh, uh, 1855 Cru Classé Association is an association which is uh, in charge of taking care and protecting the uh, classified growth against, uh, I would say, uh, copies or uh, problems that uh, they may have. And you two, you're, um, you also individually, uh, you have quite a stakehold in Bordeaux. I know that you're one of the oldest and only uh, still independent family-owned groups that you, um, you, you, grow the, you grow, you know, you maintain vineyards, you own chateaus, and you also distribute your wines. Can you just say a couple of words about, about your own enterprise? I believe it's called Bori Manu, correct? Yes. Borimanu is a is a family group, and we are wine merchants. As wine merchants, of course, we distribute uh, all our colleagues, all the other shadows, and also our own estates because we are also growers, and um, we uh, grow uh, over six or seven hundred acres of vines in the Great Appellation, in Pauillac, in Saint-Estève, in Saint-Emilion and Pomerol. And among them, we could uh, uh, speak of uh, Chateau Bataillé, Chateau Lynch-Moussas, in Pauillac, Chateau Tradevieille, first growth of Saint-Emilion, then uh, Domaine de l'Église in Pomerol, or La Croix du Casse also in Pomerol, and Beauxite in Saint-Estève. So, quite a nice spectrum. That's a lovely spectrum. And the, the history, too, of all of the chateaus, but, but also one of the ones that I find quite intriguing is the history of, of Lynch Moussas, because it's your family that when the two chateaus, the, with the two domains were divided, it was your family that... 
not exactly, but it was uh, it was uh, when uh, Lynch Musas and Lynch Bass separated. That was in 1828, and um, the uh, Baj part was separated from the original chateau because of uh, inheriting problem, and it was uh, sold to the Jurin family. Great. Okay. Well, and also, what really one of the the focuses of this uh, conversation today was because um, your association, the 1855 Grand Cru Classe, you helped organize a very prestigious auction. And that auction was um, held to benefit the uh, Lermion, the restored frigate of Marquis de, de, de Lafayette. Yes. So could you explain a little bit about how that all came together and, and how did you get the, the estates to contribute the wines and why it was such a wonderful bridge between our Franco-American relations? Well, in fact, uh, it's the uh, Franco-American Association that uh, is in Washington that uh, spoke to, uh, about it with us. And we knew that there was the Amion uh, trip to United States. As uh, you know, there are large links between Bordeaux and uh, United States. Also, let's, uh, let's remember that uh, Lafayette, left from Bordeaux, in fact from Pauillac, in the, med- in the middle of the Medoc, he left from Pauillac for United States. And um, this is most important. So we thought that the best way to, uh, to show our friends of United States that we were really uh, having a, thinking that it was a great moment, we uh, made a special uh, selection of all our all the 1855 classified uh, growth. Uh, all the bottles were engraved, uh, signed, and there was a, a sale that was done in Miami, and the money collected was for the association. That's such a wonderful, and I believe the the winning bid was right around 150,000 or, or something. Over $150,000 for 85 bottles, which are unique, of course. And uh, I must say that um, the uh, couple who uh, bought it uh, are a real wine amateur. Yes, they are. They're, they're great wine lovers and experts. And I believe that it was primarily 20, the vintage of 2010 and, and 2009, correct? It's uh, all 2010. Yeah. Well... <laughs> well, thank you for pointing out the fact that the Marquis de Lafayette had uh, left from Poyac. I had um, I, I had glossed over that point, so thank you for picking that out. And then also, um, subsequent, there was a bit of an itinerary put together for Bordeaux wine appreciators, lovers, to, to actually follow in the footsteps of Jefferson. Is that correct? Did, did yes. you have a hand yes. in that? Yes, because of Jefferson. And also, so I said, uh, Lafayette left from Pauillac, and uh, Jefferson was a, a great amateur of uh, Bordeaux wines. And he came to Bordeaux, visited the estates, uh, made notes, and he had his personal collection. And the bottles were engraved in those days in his name. So uh, this is uh, this is why, and he was a great amateur of the uh, what is now the 1855 classifi- uh, classified growth. So it means that we have peculiar, uh, I would say, family links with United States. Yes, ab- 
Absolutely, absolutely. And I, I just want to comment on a little bit on the, the terms used because I know in French you say grand amateur, uh, amateur, and that means like somebody who's like a real wine enthusiast, a real wine lover. Um, so it's uh, just to just to clarify that that point, it's a it's a compliment. <laughs> Thank you so much, Philippe. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Down Thank you. By the riverside, down by the riverside, lay down my sword and shield. Down by the riverside, study no more. Now, to chime in on this whole historical, almost kind of a reenactment of the Lermion and its departure from from Bordeaux on its way back to to the United States, uh, we have with us now the um, um, well. You, what is it actually your official title? You're the you're the person I always communicate with. I know you're communications director for the Grand Cru Class A 1855, but Sylvain, tell tell me exactly what your official title is. So, my name is Sylvain Boisvert, and I'm the director of the 8055 classification. And in fact, when we, we have the information that the Hermione come in Bordeaux, we, we think it's a good idea to, to give a gift for the boat. And uh, the gift is uh, the collection of the, all the bottles at uh, the classification, 88 bottles of the Vintage 2010. And uh, we give that at the boat, uh, to keep and uh, go to the United States with a bo- with a bottle, in fact. That's so that's that's so generous because it sounds like it wasn't premeditated at all. It, it sounds like you didn't really say, oh, "Okay, Lermion, you know, it's been reconstructed. It's coming to Bordeaux, and we're going to have a look at it." It sounds like it was sort of just just kind of spur of the moment, a, just a very generous. Uh, Yes, but uh, in fact, it's a story of Bordeaux, uh, because Jefferson come in Bordeaux in first time, and he, he learned the wine, and in fact, it's to to, uh, to to speak about this uh, story, we, we give the bottle. And, and of course, and it must be noted, of course, too, that 2010, that 2010 vintage is one of the hardest vintages to come by, because it's so prestigious. Yes, it's the most beautiful vintage in Bordeaux, uh, so uh, it's fabulous vintage. And uh, it's really a, a, a very beautiful gift, in fact. Well, it's just, it's wonderful. And, that, and that's why I, I wanted, uh, I really wanted to sort of document this because what, you know, you and, and Philippe and the rest of, the, of, the, of your members in the 1855 Grand Cru Class A, uh, it's such a generous gesture towards Franco-American relations. So, and, so th- and thank you again for doing this interview today. Thank you very much, Beige. Thank you. Next up is Clotilde de Soulier. She'll be speaking to us about her newest book, Edible French. I'm Paige Donner, and you're listening to Paris, Good Food and Wine. So we're sitting here right at the Butte of Montmartre, which is, you know, right um, before you go up to Sacré-Cœur at this gorgeous little coffee shop that my guest today, Clotilde de Soulier, suggested. And it, it is quite lovely. It's um, part of the sort of new coffee... Um, the coffee trend that's sweeping through Paris right now. And uh, I'm so pleased to have this chance to, to speak with this author, this young author, mother, Parisian, and culinary expert, Clotilde de Soulier. Clotilde, tell us a little bit about several of the books that you have out. 
Um, so I have I have a blog called Chocolate and Zucchini, and um, through the blog I've had the opportunity to publish several books. One of the latest is called The French Market Cookbook. It's a book that celebrates the love story between French cuisine and vegetables. So it's all vegetarian recipes inspired by um, the French repertoire, and it's recipes organized by season, so you can you can uh, really follow whatever is on market stalls at any point of the year. Um, so the French Market cookbook came out in the U.S. first, and it was just published in French uh, under the title Vigivore here in France back in February. So Now, that's really remarkable. You're a native French uh, person, you're, you're native French, and yet you actually publish your books uh, first in English. Uh, that must be quite uh, an endeavor. It's, um, it's sort of serendipitous in the sense that when I started my blog, Chocolate and Zucchini, 12 years ago now, there were blogs only in the English language, so that's how I started mine. And so opportunities first started um, coming through um, the U.S. Uh, side of the, of the spectrum. Um, I, I write Chocolate and Zucchini in French as well now and, and have for the past 10 years. And so now I have work opportunities on both sides of the Atlantic, but um, my publishing network is more is more New York based than Paris based. Well great and you know we're going to focus in on on one of the books and I believe you mentioned you said that this one was published two summers ago is that correct? Okay tell us the title of, of this book and tell us a little bit give us a bit of an overview. Um, so my latest is called Edible French it came out last fall um, and it, it, the subtitle is Tasty Expressions and Cultural Bites the um, premise of this book is to collect 50 French expressions that are related to food. Um, if anyone is interested in the French language, you soon discover that we use a lot of um, imagery in our, um, in our everyday language. And a lot of those expressions or idioms are related to food, to ingredients, and it's either old slang words or just um, references to food-related situations. I think food is so important in the French culture that it just seeps its way into the, into the language really strongly. And so I picked um, 50 of those idioms, some of the most colorful and the ones that had the most interesting stories, and had them illustrated by a friend of mine, Mélina Josseron, who's also a French woman, but she lives in London, and she does really beautiful watercolors. Uh, kind of whimsical, very, uh, very colorful, very fresh. And so it's a very um, giftable little book for anyone who loves French food and French language. Great. And you're going to choose uh, two or three of those idioms and just kind of uh, let, let us immerse ourselves with you, yes? Okay. Um, so it's hard to choose because they're all, I mean, the 50 that I selected are all ones that I hold very dearly, but um, one that I thought I could mention is called, um, it's la moutarde lui monte au nez, which is, which literally means the mustard is rising to his nose. And you say that of someone who's getting increasingly impatient and angry. Um, as perhaps you know, French mustard is a lot stronger than even what French mustard uh, is sold in the U.S. is. And if you ever um, uh, eat a glob of mustard that's a bit, a bit larger than you intended, you probably have noticed that it kind of um, creeps up your, up your nose and burns your sinuses. And so this is the image that was picked to express, you know, getting really impatient. And it's true that when you feel the strength of the mustard kind of rising up your nose, you can imagine what it's like when, when you're really getting, you know, you're trying to stay calm, but, you know, you're really having a hard time. And so you would say, la moutarde lui monte au nez, for someone who's really um, 
just about to, you know, explode in anger. That, I think that's a good one to know here in Paris. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, maybe, maybe you'll find a use for it in your everyday commute. <laughs> um, and another one that I wanted to mention is long comme un jour sans pain. Um, so it means long like a day without bread. And it's, uh, it's an expression that's used to express that something is very long and dreary. Um, like a speech, for instance, it might be long comme un jour sans pain, long like a day without bread. And the meaning of this is pretty self-explanatory. It's that when, back when bread was really the, the staple food of you know, the workman, uh, if you were going without bread, it wasn't because you were gluten-free, it was because you had nothing to eat. And so a day of complete fast, if it's not a personal choice, that would feel like a day that's very long. And so that's, that's whence the expression came. That's interesting. And I remember on a previous, um, on a previous interview, uh, the baker, Frederick Lalos, mentioned that, you know, if even 50 years ago, French people ate like twice as much bread as they do today. It's true. It's true. But bread still is very much a foundation of the French, the French diet. In Paris, where there are so many gorgeous bakeries, you know, there's one at nearly every corner. And especially in this neighborhood, in Montmartre, we have a lot of bakeries. And we have a lot of bakeries who won the best, best baguette in Paris competition. Uh, within just a few, a few yards, we have, we have a handful. So we're, we're spoiled for bread. And it's very tempting to buy a fresh baguette every day, certainly. Great. Did you have one more for us? Maybe a yes? Sure. I can mention um, another one that I really like that's called prendre de la brioche. So it means uh, gaining brioche. And it means um, growing a pot belly. So when you've kind of put on a little weight and your and your stomach is not is not looking as firm as it maybe once did, um, the French expression is, says that you've gained brioche. And I really like um, this expression because, first of all, I think it's the, the, the look and texture of a pot belly <laughs> does kind of look like brioche a little bit. And I think it's, um, it's nice because it's an endearing term rather than um, making you feel guilty <laughs> for putting on maybe a few, a few extra pounds. You know, it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's a tender way of looking at that pot belly, you know, kind of like a muffin top <laughs> in a sense, except the, except the brioche is in the stomach area rather than the hips. But, but I like the way that it's, um, that it's, it's kind of implying that it's not, you know, it's nothing, to, it's nothing to worry about. It's just that you ate just a little too much brioche and maybe you should come back. <laughs> Those are also cute. And it, it, I agree with you. It really gives us a nice uh, insight into the way, into the French mind, I think. Yes. And where, where can we find this book here in Paris or even in New York? Well, the, so the book is called Edible French. Um, it was published by uh, Perigee Books, which is an imprint of uh, Penguin. And you can find it at any bookstore in the U.S. And here in Paris, you can find it at any English language bookstore, such as W.H. Smith or um, Shakespeare and Company, or online on any, on any you know, book selling site that you like. Thank you so much, Clotilde. It was really nice of you to share those idioms with us. Sure, my pleasure. Next up, we have with us again Gilles Pudlowski, who calls himself Pudlow, and he tells us a little bit about his background and how he came to be one of France's preeminent culinary writers and restaurant reviewers here in Paris. Okay, so I have the, again, the great honor and privilege to be sitting across from Mr. Pudlow, Mr. Pudlowski. 
Jill Prudlowski, um, who's a very, very well-known name here in France and, and in Paris, too, especially. And I've always wanted to ask you, what, how did you, st- I mean, you're, you're prolific and you're very insightful about your restaurant reviews and your culinary critiques. How did you start writing about food? It was uh, something like uh, 30, 35 years ago. Um, it was really uh, um, a chance. I was lucky yeah, to do that because I was first literary critic and then I just began with Jean-François Kahn, where was great. Uh, Jean-François Kahn was a great uh, uh, manager of uh, journalists. Uh, he was the um, chief redactor of uh, Le Nouvel Littéraire, Literary News. And uh, he told me that uh, we have not enough in the, the redaction of, uh, to, to, to have too many people to write. So uh, every everyone must make two things to know together so uh, I was in charge of the literary uh, French literary and uh, the all the books we were published and I was uh, my my hobby was the gastronomy so uh, I, I tried to speak to to write about restaurants so I just began and uh, you know when when you make a, a food <laughs> it's begin by uh, just uh, a little um, a little um, a premier pas, uh, first first food like that you know Step first step, first step, exactly. Voilà. First step, when you make first step, you don't know uh, exactly uh, uh, what what it could happen after. So uh, uh, I'm I'm really surprised now. Uh, my job is to 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 write about restaurants because uh, it seems to be something very funny for the people. What, what is your job uh, to write about restaurants? What your job is to to eat in the restaurants and to drink a lot of cereal. Oh, people are so so surprised, you know. Uh, but it's really, um, I, I tried not to eat too much. I tried not to drink too much, but I tried to write much. You know. you do, well, you're very fit, so obviously you don't overindulge. And But you, you are prolific. I mean, uh, your blog, um, which is one of the things, too, that you've been very forward in, is you started a blog how many years ago now? Uh, five years, five years. Five years, uh, five years and a half. So uh, it's not so not so old, but in Facebook we have maybe something like fifteen uh, fifteen thousand likers, you know, and I a lot of followers also on Twitters and uh, for the blog we have uh, three hundred thousand uh, persons who follow us every month. So uh, it's something uh, more important than uh, some guides and some papers. Uh, and uh, every Tuesday. Um, Every Monday, uh, I wrote les chutis du lundi. Uh, les chutis du lundi. It means the the noises, of the the right, noises of yeah. the little noise of the little noise of the Monday on Mondays. Oh, echoes, yeah, or maybe like a roundup. Is it kind of like you do? Do you do all the top notes of the, what's happened in the culinary scene? During that what week. happens exactly? So we give all the the news, the little news of the the kitchens. You know, we send France Radio Marmite, so uh, everything is very uh, important. And um, I must some, find something new every week, so uh, we have no time to rest. Huh? No, no, you don't. You are a very, very hardworking man, and you're also very well respected by every single chef I've ever had the chance to, to speak with and today too we're in this lovely surroundings in these art deco surroundings right on avenue georges sank and i i want to thank you so much for suggesting this this lovely um this lovely tea room what what do you think about this this tea room here 
It's a wonderful place because it was historic place from the Art Deco style from the 30s. It has been refurbished two years ago by this bar by Philip Stark with the splendid bar with the splendid lights. And the food also is made by a young chef, a lady which is called Stephanie Lekelec, which is very gifted. So everything is quite new and we are here in the heart of Paris and uh, it's something different for Georges V, something different from uh, uh, Plaza Athenee and something maybe New Year's, newest place, uh, more trendy maybe. Yes, the Prince de Gaulle is a very lovely property. I, Mr. Pudlowski, I want to thank you very much for spending this time with us. Thank you very much. The show is brought to you by the support of Paris Food and Wine. Visit us at Paris Food and Wine. Net. Down by the riverside, down by the riverside, lay down my sword and shield. Down by the riverside, study no more. Thanks for joining us for this half hour of Paris Good Food and Wine. Myself, Paige Donner, and the rest of the team look forward to seeing you again here for the next episode of Paris Good Food and Wine. Because it's so, so good. Ah, voilà.